Sir, what if a writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved? More reflection of the real world. The real world? Yes, sir. The real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love. People lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo with Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. And as always, it is an extraordinarily special edition. We are going to be discussing the new Sylvester Stallone film, Samaritan. <laughs> is that right? That's right. Yeah. Jeremy, you watched that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, we're actually going to be discussing a 20-year-old film, part of our very, very popular 20-year revisits. Uh, it is Spike Jones's adaptation, written by Charlie Kaufman, starring Nicolas Cage. This movie uh, has long been a favorite of ours, and I'm very excited to talk about it and see how it holds up. So, guys, a lot on our plate. Um, we got to talk about, you know, how we've always felt about this movie. We've got to talk about how we feel about it now. We've got to talk about Spike Jones as a director. We've got to talk about Nicolas Cage, Chris Cooper, Meryl Streep, the screenplay. We've got to talk about its Oscar nominations or lack thereof. A lot of obstacles, but uh, I think we can overcome them and succeed in the end. And so here we go. Uh, We usually like to ease into these conversations, kind of start slow, missionary position, that kind of thing. But today we are just not going to fuck around. I need to know the answer so we're just going to go straight to the end i i'm sorry if you haven't seen this movie and this gets spoiled but i'm going to ask you guys a yes or no question although the answer i think is much more complicated than yes or no so feel free to elaborate from the moment when meryl streep says we need to kill him is does the end of this movie work uh i I think we both just should say yes or no and then go from there. Okay. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes with a caveat. Okay. Well, I want, I could, I will. Well, Jeremy, I'm sure has caveats too. I got caveats. So you just cheated. (laughs) I want to say yes with a caveat then too. Okay. I don't know. I'm glad you guys disagree here and let's talk about it because I don't know, actually. I don't have an answer to my own question. Well, here's, so let's here's get into the thing. It. And you know, like, for me, I love this movie because it's one of the greatest screenplays ever written. And the structure of it is so flawless. And clearly what it's doing at the end is riffing on its own uh, 
need to spoof itself. It's already talked about within the structure of the story and not going crazy, not going overboard, not having car chases and overcoming obstacles and, and, you know, all this stuff. So clearly that's what it does. Like we know, we all know what it's doing, but I still feel like it betrays a little bit of the mo- of the feeling of the movie up to that point, if that makes any sense. It like does. it's brilliant, but at the same time, it's the, it's a different film tonally than the other part of the film. Um, and I'm the biggest sucker of the three of us for, for uh, a good structured screenplay. And you don't get much better structured screenplay than this. And obviously I know what Charlie Kaufman's trying to accomplish here. And part of me pats him on the back for it. But but I think what part, he's trying to accomplish, I think he does accomplish. He does, exactly. But, whether not, it, but it's it, like a whole separate thing that doesn't totally, maybe work. Yeah. Totally, it's a different it's a different movie and it feels off. It feels weird watching it, especially this time around. Chapin? Yeah, it, I, I agree with that. I think that it's it's um, it's it's just it's brilliant in its idea and it's um, right. Like like everything that he doesn't want to happen happens, and it's referenced, and that's what makes it so brilliant. But I mean, and and maybe this is part of it, but it is it does feel like the most cliched wrote version of the, uh, you know, a uh, section of the movie. And they do a little bit lose my interest there. Um, I also think like it betrays the characters a little bit, especially Meryl Streep's and Chris Cooper's character. Like all the characters just changed so drastically. Well, that's the thing. And that's, what's interesting. And, and I hope it will oh, be I so disagree f- a little with that. Go ahead. Fun about discussing this movie is that I think, the sort of meta nature of the screenplay we go in. And I think the, I think the audience knows at that point that we are on, um, that this, this real story suddenly becomes not real. And we know LaRoche is still alive. We know Susan Orlean didn't have an affair with him. (laughs) Get addicted to this. Right, Opi- like, like, yeah, and do I think, por- pornography. <laughs> I think we can, I, like, I think we can assume that most of the audience understood that this didn't actually happen. I mean, maybe not, but we let's uh, uh, get your film fixed. Let's boys tell the audience that, that yeah, this didn't that happen. at some point, like, this didn't happen the way it's supposed to have happened. And also, <laughs> Charlie Coffin didn't have a twin brother. <laughs> didn't have a twin brother. Um, although he's so won an Oscar, did. although he's been nominated for an Oscar. So, so like, you know, I think like one way to look at this movie is, is, is the Charlie Kaufman that begins this movie and what he wants to accomplish with the adaptation of the orchid thief. Um, he proves to be correct, but in, by sort of, I wouldn't say ruining adaptation, the movie, but like, you know, he, like it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like he does it and it becomes part of the movie. And then the movie, I think suffers because of it. Yeah. So, it's, so which well, is like, is that, but and like, but that's what I struggle so much with is like, is that great or bad? Like, is it great that the movie suffers on purpose almost? Does that make it even a better movie? It's like a very meta conversation to have, but to your point, Jeremy about the characters changing what I think 
is done well is that LaRoche's character doesn't totally change. Like he is kind of a voice of reason in that scene when Meryl Streep says that they need to kill him. Now she, her, her shift is the part that is difficult to buy into. And I think as a result, that final act is difficult to buy into just the very line of dialogue where she says, we need to kill them. You're like, well, what is Where did this isn't come that from? Kind of the Dewey's Dewey's as machina machina that, uh, McKee McGee talks about. Yeah. But, and I also think you make a good point that there needs to be this sort of over-the-top, unrealistic, almost you, can, you don't buy it aspect leading into that third act for us to know as an audience that this part is written. This part isn't real. This is what was necessary to adapt a book with no story. And, like, it drives me nuts because, like, this is done so perfectly but this time around, mm. for the first time ever, that line, we need to kill him, and that final act felt out of place, felt like maybe it took this movie down a half star for me. Like, I don't like feeling that way about this. Right, but but it wouldn't, would it be this movie if it didn't go there? Exactly. That's what dry, That's what's crazy. And I, I, think, I think that's why you're saying, yes, the end does work. And Jeremy says, no, it doesn't. But we agree, I think, all three of us, 100% on... The problem with it and but why it's there i mean to me this movie is not about laroche it's not about uh susan orlean it's about charlie kaufman right and in charlie kauf this is the story as as the title suggests of ad- adapting the orchid thief and in that sense this isn't like the real or truthful or dramatic or meaningful conclusion of the orlean um LaRoche story it's the fulfillment of Charlie Kaufman's um you know hatred of the sort of typical three-act movie structure that seems to at least at that point dominate every movie that's ever made and for me, that works. But yes, like you can't deny that the movie becomes on a minute by minute basis less interesting during that time period. I think that's a good point. But as a whole, I think it works yeah. almost seamlessly. Um, all right. So, Chapin, I, I know how Jeremy has always felt about this movie. And I think you've always been with us. But for some reason, I have a recollection of you maybe hinting at the fact that this movie wasn't as good as me and Jeremy thought it was. Is no, that... I never. That's not, that, no. No, never felt that way. You love this movie. Always have. Always have. Okay, good. I have um, a question though for you guys, but maybe okay. go ahead. No, go for it. No, I don't want to derail your. Well, I was just going to get into it. I was going to kind of start start from the beginning. Say, you know, let's put the but structure could, of the screenplay and the screenplay aside and talk about. Can I ask love one movie. big question real quick yep. that I because we're sort of just you, you did it. What's the best performance in this movie? Is it? obvious what it is no and uh so i'd love to know what you guys think about chris cooper won the oscar for supporting actor meryl streep and nicholas cage were both nominated um i think the answer has to be nicholas cage Hmm. as the best performance here although chris cooper is extraordinary yeah i still when he first said it i'm like oh well it's meryl streep because she's like 
doing this character that's completely sort of different than uh, she than you're used to her seeing somebody that's like on the surface uh has it together but underneath it's really kind of flawed and whatever but that i think that last bit of the movie that we just talked about that last act kind of hurts it for her i don't you know just because the character shift is so much so i i have to go i i would have to go chris cooper because he it, it's such an iconic performance it's such a uh unusual character that he's playing um I just have to give by the slightest margin to him. Some of his lines just kill me. When, when he goes, I'm training myself on the internet and getting into pornography, and she goes, that's good. He's like, it's fucking great. It's what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Like, my porn site's going to be big. Uh, yeah. yeah. But so... Coffin's playing two roles here. Like, I mean, Coffin. See, that's how good Cage is. He's, as, as Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, it's just like Nicolas Cage is like a prestige version of Mark Wahlberg in a way where you're like he does these like movies that you don't understand who this actor is and then you see him at his best in movies like this and leaving Las Vegas or whatever it may be and you're like where is this all the other times yeah and he's I just think I think he's a he's an actor that needs good direction uh, that's yeah, probably I, true. I totally agree. I, I, I would say what sort of stood out for me, and I think it was mostly in the beginning of, or the the first half of adaptation. the 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 Charlie Kaufman character is just so neurotic. He's so on edge. He's sweating, and like, I, look, I I understand the why we have that. I understand why. Um, it's how he sees himself. Right, I, I get that, but it, that that like Donald is almost like more dimensional than Charlie. Like he seems to have more of a he's more of a developed character than Charlie. Like Charlie seems to be this like one note, you know, ball of anxiety. Where Donald is, you know, not as interesting or not as sort of admirable, I guess. But like he he has multiple. He he changes and has interesting developments and 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 things like that. I I just like I I find that and I don't know if that's the script. I don't know if that's the Spike Jones direction. But I think eventually we get over that and it's an extraordinary performance because it's two. He's doing two different characters that are markedly different in the same scenes and and that deserves some credit. But I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Streep is also fantastic in this in like a sort of a thankless way in a weird way like she just kind of shows up and is Meryl Streep and like really anchors the movie and and loses herself in this role really well you're not thinking about her as Meryl Streep at all here um yeah it's tough I mean those three performances are just uh, they're extraordinary it's it's an amazing part of this movie I I really think that everybody in this movie is good a lot of the supporting roles i think kara seymour is really good in her small part you know mm-hmm. who i think is very good in a very small role in this guys curtis hansen maggie gyllenhaal oh wow <laughs> yeah this I mean, best she's, she's ever been very small role yeah <laughs> um all right so let's let's get going so we've talked about a few things talked about the, uh, the performances already i want to get into what you guys love about this movie outside of the screenplay and 
you know, we we dwell so much on the screenplay. We we quote this a lot. We talk about it a lot. Um, we don't really ever talk about Spike Jones' direction. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that and and what that brings to the movie and where you guys think the line is between script and direction. Um, and just anything else that you guys really think kind of works here. What makes this movie work so well? I, I like, I just like the getting in the mind and the struggle of a writer and those little yeah. moments that you yeah. just totally understand. Like, I, I, like he's like, I, I, sh- I should have coffee, coffee it's and a so muffin. Good. That'll yeah. help me think. And then, no, why don't I reward myself with coffee? <laughs> We've with all done muffin. it. Like, it's all that stuff that you just like, oh man, it's like so, so on point. And like, the just experiencing that through him and, and and the struggle and all that to try to get this accomplished and get a finished draft while his brother's sort of breezing through on a very like uh yeah, like pulpy script yeah yeah so i i love all that little stuff and the comedy in it too is great i mean it's really funny like every like just out of nowhere it, it has some really really funny moments just stuff when he's like things that are the, the comedy is very is very unique in this movie because it's not like it's not jokes it's not even like outrageous behavior or anything although at times that that's it but like it's almost like it's it's maybe it wasn't funny the first time we saw it but the more we see it it's funny like things just like him talking about how he masturbates to the book jacket of Susan Orlean. Like that was these, always funny. These things that like you a find pathetic, him admitting and like, like I find that stuff to be so funny. And again, the stuff with LaRoche talking about his porn site and like just his like non sequiturs and his stream Even of consciousness. Stuff like, like, like the Ron Livingston stuff. <laughs> stuff oh like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just like these characters that, Everybody else is is not so so much living in their head like Kaufman is. So the it, the the dichotomy between them is 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 part of the humor. The other thing that that LaRoche has that cracks me up is like he's super he's like super kind to Susan this whole movie and like really embraces them. They they kind of have this like it's odd but like sort of nice relationship and you know, she's becoming more and more depressed and she wants to see the ghost orchid. So he takes her out to see it and they get lost. And then she's complaining and he's just like, I'll get us out of here. You fucking bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just stuff like that, that like the tone of these characters performances and like the position of these, these line deliveries within the script. And like, it's all, it's all really well done. Um, I, I was sort of, I mean, I've always noticed it, but I, I was impressed by the seamlessness of the non-linear structure here. And, you know, we've talked about in other movies, I think one that comes up a lot is The Prestige, how well Nolan navigates you through all these different timelines in that movie. Obviously, he does that in all his movies, but, but The Prestige but think- has this very seamless nature to it. And this does something similar. Where we're bouncing back and forth, like basically, I think, three different time periods you know, when Orlean first meets LaRoche and is writing the book, there's the bit where Kaufman is writing about uh, or the uh, the stuff of LaRoche that's in Orlean's book. And then you also have Kaufman writing the, the screenplay. So there's three different time periods that kind of just hop around and work really nicely. 
I wonder how much, like, I bet most of that was in the screenplay, though. I credit the screenplay for that. Whereas, like, maybe the prestige Nolan had more flexibility in the editing room to try stuff. Whereas I, I think this was very well laid out by Kaufman. That's just yeah, my guess. I, 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 would, you know, I agree I with read that. The first yeah, drafts I think that's probably those, true. But, um, but still, yeah, no, I, I, and I like what, I, you know, all the little stuff that Spike Jones did with the sort of documentary footage, the way he um, intercut the stuff with John Malkovich in there, oh, yeah. the stuff with, uh, you know, all like start on the beginning of Earth through time, and then like that whole montage sequence, like all those little touches are very nice. Chapin, what stands out for you? Yeah, I, I agree with Jeremy. The whole writing process, I've been doing a lot of writing and final draft in the last couple of weeks, and uh, I I can certainly relate to all that kind of um, <clears throat> mentality that he verbalizes in the voiceover. Um, I, I, I just think it's fascinating how the film just kind of unfolds, you know, sort of stream of consciousness, you know, like the way the movie is, um, you know, it's like you're, you're, it's, 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 if you're, the movie is developing and coming to life through his sort of first draft narrative, you know? And I think that's so funny. And so just like, and this is going to sound like a negative criticism, but it's not. It's so obvious, and I'm so surprised that no one's done it before, and it's done so well here. It's just like, yeah, like, and I do that all the time. Like, when you are really inspired and you're writing something, like, you can, you know, it comes to life for you. Or, or like, like you just see movies, like, in your everyday life, or you see scenes and the way things come alive. And it's kind of, it's kind of like we're just watching Kaufman, like, create... And we see things just happening the way it comes out of his imagination. And I think that's, and it's, but it's also sort of hampered by his insecurities as a writer. Um, and that, and as that a aspect, person. yeah. And as a person too. And, and, and I just think that that is such a, it's, it's such a insight into what it's like to create something. I mean, not just, not just as a writer, but also just, just, just to be a creator, you know? And I also like how full this is. Like, there's a lot of layers going on beyond the obvious script layers. Like, every th there's commentary on, obviously, screenwriting, the whole McKee thing and going to that. There's commentary on Hollywood and the sort of parties and the, the, Don't the say world. Don't industry. The industry. The, the world that he is in and the people that he knows. Um, there's commentary, commentary on, you know... Uh, I guess adaptation itself, like it's not just about the adaptation of the um, well, the book, but about you know how we all came to be and how these flowers and like all that. Like, there's a lot packed into everything, and then there's his love life too. There's that whole thing that gets shoved in between it, and it should just be a complete mess, but it isn't. There's a really nice speech from LaRoche about pollination, you know, maybe a quarter of the way through this movie. That like I'm sure I never paid as close attention to as I did this time around because I think some of the like really great writing 
in terms of the themes of this movie get a little lost in the stuff that we talk about all the time and like the comedy and the voiceover and the the meta nature of all of this god help you if you use voiceover right you know, but i just i just looked at a picture of it. he looks exactly like brian cox <laughs> look him oh, up right McKee? now yeah <laughs> really um but yeah, all that stuff, all those scenes, we talk about all the time. We love that stuff. Like we can relate to a lot of it. It's like funny because of the environment that we kind of grew up in and with our film education and, and careers and things like that. But some of the the writing and the themes that go on in this movie about adaptation and pollination and all those things that we kind of learn a lot of the time through LaRoche is really, really well written. And you can kind of see how it ties into everything. And you know, like you're saying, Jeremy, all this stuff is packed in very, very seamlessly. And it's, it's impressive. It's such, I'm wondering, and I don't expect you guys to have an answer, but like we kind of talk, we kind of say this in a, in a pejorative way, a lot of times about like basically a movie just having filmed the screenplay or we feel like we're watching the screenplay or we can see the writing on the screen. This is like the best example of that ever. Has there ever been a movie where you're, you're basically like watching the screenplay unfold more than this. Right. Because even as we're talking about this movie and I'm trying to say like, you know, what else did you like about this? What else did you like about this? It's hard not to bring it back to the writing. I mean, the writing well, is the showstopper here. I mean, it's literally the maybe top two, three greatest screenplays ever written. That's a, yeah. that's a bold statement. Um, I, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you something. I think this movie is kind of profound in the way that it can go from being what I think is a probably generally a comedy, a pretty funny, sophisticated comedy, but actually have some really profound things to say about, you know, love and desire and, um, you know, purpose and interest. And I think, I think this movie is ultimately more about uh, is, more substantive than I think it appears to be on the surface. A hundred percent. I mean, there's the line where, and it kind of comes up a couple times that Streep says where she wants to know what it feels like to care about something passionately. And I think that sums up a lot about the movie. Like Kaufman is talking at the beginning and you can see his passion for the orchid thief and how he wants to stay true to it. And that that's the most important thing to him. And, you know, he comes across all these people who he works with or whatever that just like are so flippant about it all. Like Tilda Swinton is like, we thought that LaRoche and Susan could fall in love. Like she doesn't care. Like whatever, what's going to put assets in the seat? His agent doesn't care. Make a story up. I love Donald's story. Maybe he can help you. Or maybe, maybe I can help you. <laughs> no one's like, better in this town than making a crazy story up than you. Like nobody cares, but he has, fi- he is trying to like find passion, find a similar passion that he like has latched onto in this book. And like Susan, has completely lost passion with her life. LaRoche is like very interesting because he like has these like intense passions, but then just like fuck fish moves on and moves on to the next thing. And it's like, I think you're absolutely right that this movie is kind of about like love and passion and where you find that and how, how it manifests itself. But also what what you do with it when it's in front of you. Cause you have the relationship with Kaufman and Amelia that like, you know, is a little like, 
cliche in terms of like he doesn't go inside with her like doesn't know how to make a move on her and all that stuff and then it ends up not working it's out it's cliche but, like, but then there's the whole voiceover just adds another level of like oh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go and kiss her i'm gonna be romantic tell children about it and it's like and then he just drives away like that's <laughs> that's amazing I, I know i mean what's more i think what's, what's a little more cliche is just i don't know once a podcast he walks away and then comes back but I think the cliche aspect is just in terms of we've seen a million times like the nervous guy that can't make the move, but I'm not yeah. I'm not saying it's a lesser part of the movie, but <clears throat> I think it's an important part in that we see that, you know, Amelia is someone that he is passionate about but doesn't know what to do with it when it's put in front of him and he has a lot to learn. And he goes on this journey writing the screenplay and maybe learns something. I like yeah. that. I mean, I think discovering I think the discovery part of this is also the what keeps it interesting. As you as an audience member are discovering how Kaufman is writing it while you're watching it. I think that ever that turn makes it more and more interesting, you know? Cuz you're like, "Oh, okay, that's why, you know, he put this in next and then oh, that connects back to that and oh, okay, I see what he's doing here." I see what he's doing here against McKee's wishes. Kaufman definitely had something going on in this period where like he was very interested in like what's uh, on like being inside people's minds and like what's going on in your mind. Cause being John Malkovich obviously is like you go through this portal and you are in John Malkovich's body and mind. And then here he, you're getting into his own mind and like, I, I don't know. He hasn't really done that exactly since. I mean, obviously, I mean, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine Eternal is like yeah. more memories and stuff like that. Um, so it's interesting. Like that's a, obviously I, an interesting place to explore. Well, I need to well, watch Malkovich again. When's the last time you guys watched that? I, yeah, I I'd like to watch that again. I, I watched it maybe a year, year and a half ago, and I didn't like it that much. I found it really disturbing, actually. Yeah. Like I, I found that one unsettling to. to yeah, watch. that like, was, a, was a hard one to latch on to. Um, um, compared to this 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 just has so much more like life and energy to it and like relatability to it than being john malkovich does and i just you know all the stuff we've talked about like i think we find we find things relatable about you know screenwriting or just you know the industry and just in like kind of I don't know, life in general is like really captured here in a unique way. Like you have all these different people living these different types of lives and everybody sort of wants to be somebody else. I also find it interesting, like my viewings of this over the years and how it's <laughs> in a weird way of, you know, gone from like seeing this the first time and just feeling crazy inspired and yeah. like the first couple times and, and, and finding it just, amazing in that you know that way in which i want to want to be part of hollywood and i want to be a writer and i want to you know uh, you know just in awe of that to like this last time watching it where it was more about these other things that we we just talked about the ancillary things the anxieties and the the way he's trying to figure himself out in the world with with being passionate about stuff and like it, it's it's 
completely different We're not viewpoint. We're not motivated 20-year-olds anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't motivated to go and, and write my own screenplay like I did maybe the first few I times we I saw it. I guess we were 18 when we saw this, yeah. Um, all right, guys, I, I, we do this all the time. I don't know why we do it. I don't know why we put ourselves through it, but this movie won one Oscar. Um, Chris Cooper won for, for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, who, it's in, was, who who did Nick Cage lose to? I want to know. Uh, he, all right, so this movie lost. It's a good year. So this movie didn't get nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Chicago won, which we watched and reviewed. Um, Adrian Brody won for the pianist for for actor, and in, uh, the pianist also won Best Adapted Screenplay over this. Oh man! Oh. I mean, oh. they would have they would have swept the Fixies. I I just I can't. I don't understand it. Like, like the Oscars love movies about movies. Like, what happened here? It's too smart. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, it well, wasn't. It, it was, and what's weird, I think, is that uh, Spike was nominated for Malkovich and not this. Which, yep. No, no. I, I mean, maybe because well, they had to make off of they had to make room for Stephen Daldry in the director category. Cause it doesn't matter what movie he makes. You got to make sure you nominate him. Um, Polanski won. Scorsese was nominated. Rob Marshall for Chicago and Pedro Almodovar for Talk to Her, which uh, Talk to Her it, won original. I think this would have won all my categories. This should have won original and adapted screenplay. <laughs> yeah, this should have won both. I, it, I wait, just, wait, it was nominated under adapted. Yeah, because it it's adapting the Orchid Thief. Right, but which is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> it is. I mean, the whole thing is like. I mean, there is the the story of John LaRoche in this in this movie that that person existed yeah and there's the orchids yeah and orchids uh, are flowers uh this, this is just like a such a bad oscar year i mean it's like the right like the right people are nominated i guess but just the winners are just so bad i mean there's also a lot of things missing here like you know, 25th hour got pretty much shut out. And, you know, we had mixed feelings on that when we talked about it last last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, City of God, I think our plan is to do that next. Um, I don't know how that did at the Oscars. Um, but, like, Chicago winning, The Pianist winning. A, a Pianist is a good movie, and Adrian Brody is good in it. But, like, I don't know. I, Daniel Day-Lewis and Nicolas Cage, not, or either one of them, should have won best actor over Adrian Brody. Um, in fact, I, as much as I love Cage in this, I think maybe Daniel Day Lewis should have won that that award. Um, and well, the hours, okay, that's, like that's the hours, was a that's big an movie that discussion year. right there, Lee. Like, I mean, we've talked that. You know, I don't know. Will we ever? Will we do Gangs of New York this we year? We probably I think should. That, I, think I didn't put it on the list. I think that'd I th- be an interesting one to do. But like. I, I just sort of generally, I've always thought as of that B- Bill the Butcher performance as like a just an amazing performance in a vacuum, essentially. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so much this, bigger than and, the movie itself, right? And the well, it's definitely not bigger. <laughs> the cage, the cage performance here is so in service of yeah. It's a good point. The movie that I don't know. I mean, I. I it's a good point. It's a good discussion to have. I, I actually, you know, I just put it on the list because I think gangs doing gangs in New York this year would be a, a good idea. We probably should talk about that. But, um, what else you guys got? We talked about the end. I think that was kind of the 
most important thing for me like i just i don't know i don't know that i mean i think the answer is that it it does work as in the movie as a whole uh on a scene by scene basis maybe it's the weakest part in terms of when you're watching the movie what is the end the end yeah yeah. Because I couldn't, I didn't have an answer after I finished watching it. And this is the first time that question really came up. I think I've always just overlooked it because I understood why it was there. I loved the, you know, the brilliance of it in like, but I was kind of with Jeremy. Like I, I didn't buy Meryl Streep coming to that conclusion. Like also like, is that, is that the only option? Like big deal. Like, saw him saw her doing some drugs and was on a porn site like is that the end of her life well it's the end of her career especially back then i guess that's maybe that's true new yorker writer on the porn site yeah come on now nowadays they probably all have only fans and stuff well that's true but also like that was probably the one of the that was one of how many porn sites then yeah like, like three it'd be easy if you type porn yeah. you might find it like yeah. now it'd be, it'd be hard. Yeah. You'd, have, yeah, you'd have to look up, it. you'd yeah. have to specifically search Susan Orlean porn, which I'm going to do right now. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Let's just see what comes up. I wonder if like, and the other thing is like, it was very, uh, very Susan unique. Orlean porn comes up with Susan Orlean on watching adaptation with her 15 year old son. Well, there you go. Question. I mean, I've always been fascinated by the, like, how does Susan Orlean feel about this movie? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They had to get her permission to do it. I, well, apparently she yeah. was a little bit blindsided by it. Yeah. No, I mean, I no, she, well, what I read was that she was blindsided when they asked her initially, and then she's like, glad she did it. Well, I'd be glad too. I mean, it's like, it's pretty cool. Meryl Streep plays you, and yeah. you uh, kind of get to be a drug, a drug addict, crazy person in the end for, you know, like. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I find fascinating, and Jeremy, you and I talked about this on the on the podcast for I'm Thinking of Ending Things, is that in this movie, Charlie Kaufman criticizes Donald Kaufman for his script, basically saying that in the reality of your movie, when all your characters are the same person, how are you going to have them be in different places at once? And it says that it can't be done. There's no way to write it. Yeah, but then that's exactly what happens in I'm thinking of ending things, which he also wrote and directed. You have three characters who are all the same person, and it's like it's okay. So now I'm starting to think like is is the creation of Donald like another learning process for the real the Kaufman in this in adaptation and also the real Kaufman is like he is he growing as a writer is he realized is he criticizing Donald's work but realizing that that's a part of writing that's a type of writing that he has to learn how to do and then does no I don't know if he necessarily thinks he has to do it I think he's just coming to the realization that that's part that's that is part of pop like pop culture and not everyone's gonna be you know there's a giant portion of the population is going to be much more into that than the orchid thief or whatever he's trying to the yeah. the the artsy smart sophisticated thing he's trying to do the other the other the other theory which is would be brilliant is you know Kaufman says there's no way to write that 
well, I'm thinking of ending things didn't make a lot of sense. So maybe there's not a way to write it. And he proved it. Yeah, he has nothing. Uh, he has nothing coming up either. He, oh, at least, yeah, I'm thinking of ending things. This last one, and he hasn't. There's nothing in the in the hopper right now, which is a little bit kind of a bummer. Because I'm always like, I haven't been that enthused with the like. I'm thinking of ending things. I never saw. How do you say Anomalisa was Anomalisa. Was kind of, I saw it. It was interesting. I mean, it was definitely Sinefity not memorable. New York. I wasn't crazy about so. I, oh really? Yeah. Is that you didn't like it? Well, I, I'd I have, have to, to see it again, but I watch it. Again. I remember it being way too long, and I didn't really understand it. It's only two hours and four minutes. Certainly felt longer than that. But no matter what, he's a he's a writer, a director, some somebody that I'm going to be interested in 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 what he does always, because oh, yeah. he, he can just this is what he's capable of, and I'd like to see him get a little lighter. Like the like adaptation was, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's interesting because um, definitely the lightest of his movies. Uh, I guess yeah, that's probably true. Um, I mean, Eternal Sunshine is not light, but that has some levity. It's pretty to dark. It. Like, it's pretty dark. Um. All right, so guys, uh, who uh, who's who here? How do we do this? Donald, Charlie, and Laroche. Yeah, I would say so. This is a tough one. No, no, no. I, I think one of us has to. I, I think Susan, Susan has got to be. So, so do we? But this that would be four people. I no, mean, no. I, we'll, we'll just instead say of Laroche, Charlie, Susan, Laroche. No Donald. No Donald. Oh, okay. Look at the poster, Lee. Okay. All right. So I don't know, Japen. I feel like you might be. Charlie Kaufman. All right. Talented, <laughs> smart, good writer, a little neurotic. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes, sometimes you, not you real confident in yourself. The, like, uh, yeah, masturbate to the book jacket of Susan Orlean. <laughs> Definitely done that. Fat, sweaty, insecure. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not balding, though. Jesus Christ, yeah. look at my hair right now. All right. Uh, this one's tougher. But to be fair, neither is Charlie Kaufman. Have you seen a picture? Charlie Kaufman is skinny, has yeah, a full head of hair, and yeah. But it, I love how he thinks that he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's his like residual <laughs> self images. Um, Jeremy, I think I think you're gonna get Susan. Um, yeah, I'm gonna take I, the I unhappiness agree. out of it and just like think about the writing aspect. And I think I'm maybe a little bit more of a I don't know a gardener than you are. For LaRoche, I guess. I don't know. Like, Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, you... I find interesting, you like, also tr- are trees all, and plants and Of all of us like are the only one who has lost a tooth. That's true. I've lost two. Yeah, so that's yeah. very LaRoche of you. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the deciding. Um, what have you lost two of? Teeth. Teeth. Oh, really? When? Uh, one, this one I uh, lost in high school. One right there. In that's hockey? Fake. Playing hockey? Yeah. Big time. No, he, he fell into a locker. I didn't fall. I got pushed. Yeah. Uh, G- then I gently. Lost. Then this one right here. Uh, I lost in college when I fainted. <laughs> and it was the more I had nothing to do with alcohol, surprisingly. It's very, uh, very boring stories. Um, I don't know. I don't, I just feel like our cases for me and Jeremy are, are weak. 
Yeah, um, well, I mean, they're going to be weak eventually. Not all characters are... Well, are there other characters in this movie that may... Who, what about McKee or Donald? Like, mm. I, I would be closer to Donald than... McKee is tough. McKee's, McKee's not really tough. In any of us, really. I, I'm curious what he... Has anyone ever read anything about what he's thought of the thought of this movie i wonder if he's like that yeah well, he was at the premiere so and he's like screaming at people and like I think, i'm sure that's what he's like so wait so i this is kind of a pointless question like how long is that seminar because he says we've got a busy couple of days ahead at the beginning and then he's talking about he's like why are you wasting my precious two hours with your movie because no because the movie's like a, two hours long yeah so he's, he's saying that if he went to the movie, oh, he'd be wasting. Oh, okay. I thought he was ma- wasting wow. his time asking the question at his seminar. No, no. Because <laughs> the movies are two hours long. Gotcha. Um, do you think he he put the Donald character in? That, like, Do you think the genesis of it was this idea of the the Epstein twins that wrote Casablanca? And then he's like, oh, I I can utilize that. I think Donald came in later when he was lost writing this. Like, Hmm. I'd love to know. But in what point in the story did Donald come in? If you were, if you were to guess, um, like it's got to be somehow related to when he writes himself into the screenplay, essentially. Like, obviously, he wouldn't write his twin into it until he started writing himself into it. So I feel like he writes himself into it, is all down on himself, and, like, needs to, like, bounce it off someone, but there's no one there, so he creates Donald. I I literally like Dress to Kill, especially the final act in New Event. No, he said except for that. Yeah, except for the final act in yeah. New Event. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Uh, round of cinema sequence to close it out. Chapin's two for two. Yeah, except for these always end like instantly and we just seem like idiots. All right, well, we're going to do better this time. Chapin, you're kicking us off this time. Actually, no, you yeah. went first last time. I'll kick it off to Jeremy. Um, let's go with Chris Cooper. Uh, little Women. Mm. My next? Yeah. Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Uh, fighting with family, whatever that's called. With my family. Uh, uh, the Rock. Skyscraper. Oh my God, skyscraper! You know who else is in this? Mm-hmm. He says yes. He's looking it up right now. I don't. I have no idea. I'm out. Um, <clears throat> Pablo Schreiber, who's also Pablo in, Schreiber, uh, who's okay. also in. Uh, yeah, I know what else. Den of Thieves. All right, so uh, let's go. Um, Den of Thieves, Jeremy. <laughs> No, you're wrapping it up. You lost. So that's I know, it. but that's you guys movie. are still in it. Oh, okay. So Jeremy needs a movie to go to. Uh, can... Well, I can't do one I don't know the answer to, right? So I can't go Den of Thieves. Yeah, so t- pick you another know rock anybody movie. Anybody who's in Den of Thieves, Jeremy? Pick no, another, I don't, I don't. Pick another rock I, movie. That's what I'm saying. Central Intelligence. 
Kevin Hart. Um, forty-year-old virgin. Ooh, very good. <clears throat> I think that's his best performance ever. Come on, Chapin. There's a bazillion people. <laughs> Steve Carell. Um, minions. Wow. Wait a minute. There's no way you know anybody else in that. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't. I, that's why I was trying to stump him. Yeah, but by you not can't know, do that. By not knowing. All right, so you forfeit. Uh, Foxcatcher, then. Channing all over my Tatum. Magic Mike. Uh, what's his name? Manganiello. What's his name? Manganiello. <laughs> Jeremy Jimmy. wins. You can't just say what's his name, Anjanello. Jeremy wins. Jeremy, somebody else in Magic Mike. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. There you go. All right, Jeremy gets the victory. Yes. And it, all, right. all it took so, was Magic Mike. I knew I wasn't going to fail with Magic. All that Jeremy needs is, is once it gets to Magic Mike. Once you bring it back to Magic Mike, I'm not win. failing. Oh, win. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this great edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Let us know what you think of adaptation. You can email us at getyourfilmfixpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, We're going to be doing another 20-year revisit next week. We're going to be checking out uh, Fernando Mireles's City of God, a movie that uh, I don't think you guys have seen in quite a while. It's, even for me, it's been a little while. Um, very excited to revisit that one, and uh, hopefully you have time to do that as well. I believe it's on HBO Max, and that's it. I think that's it, guys, right? That's it. Imagine me and you. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the one you love and hold it tight. So happy together. Hey, look. All right. I told you I'd find the jewel of the Fakahatchee. It's a flower. Flower. Well, might as well grab it. As long as I'm here. <laughs> <laughs>